Whitechapel in Victorian London, an overcrowded and busy hub of life. The juxtaposition of people and areas, affluent suburbs and poor slums in the centre, all with one common fear, Jack the Ripper, a serial killer striking in the autumn of 1888. So pour your cuppers, because this is coffee in a slice of history, Jack the Ripper. Hey up and welcome to episode 12. Ella here, as always, I hope you are all very well. Sorry that today's episode is a day late, I've had a few personal things to sort out on Monday and then I've been busy with work, but nevertheless, here it is, only a day late. Remember to check out the podcast's Instagram page for the post to go along with this episode for visual photos. So without further ado, on with the episode. 1888, during Victorian times, when the Industrial Revolution was on full steam ahead, London was the biggest capital city in the world and it was right in the middle of a hive in a growing empire. However, in one area of London, a crime-ridden district was especially busy. Slums full of people living in back-to-back houses, workhouses and doss houses. This place was Whitechapel, in the middle of the East End. It had 78,000 people from every walk of life residing there. Large families would share one room with malnutrition and disease being rife. There were three classes within this area. It was either the poor, the extremely poor or the homeless. It was also home to many immigrants. A large group of German and Polish Jews fleeing persecution in Europe. Irish as they had all moved because of the Great Famine of 1845 to 1854 as well as Russian immigrants. All the same, a common factor with every man, woman and child in this area was the same. Every hour of every day was a battle for survival. For women, it was hard. Unlike men where there was no prejudice to go and do a hard manual task or job, like building, chimney sweeping or even as simple as to have a shop, which was common in this area, it was still very traditional in this time. Women weren't easily accepted into jobs such as these and many of them in Whitechapel during this time turned to prostitution. In 1888 there was an estimated 1,200 prostitutes in Whitechapel alone as this would be their only way of survival and of any income. And this is where the events of autumn 1888 begin with a small part of Whitechapel community, but affecting the whole of London society. From the 31st of August to the 9th of November, five women were brutally murdered. They were known as the Canonical Five. The first woman in this unfortunate series of murders is Mary Ann Nichols, found in a gateway in Bucks Row, Whitechapel. Mary Ann's body was awfully mutilated on Friday the 31st of August in the morning. She was then identified later that afternoon. Mary Ann Nichols' road to her horrific demise started when she separated from her husband and five children in 1880. Over the next eight years, she fell into a hole of poverty and alcoholism. By the time she died... She was living in a common lodging house. 
with the cost per night being a fourpence. In order to make the money for this lodging, she turned to prostitution. However, on the fateful night, she didn't have enough money for a bed for the night, so after an evening of drinking, she went back out to work in order to make the money. Mary Ann's friend, Emily Holland, tried to persuade her not to go out because she was so drunk. However, Mary was adamant and she stumbled down Whitechapel Road. With this encounter with Emily Holland, this was the last time Mary Ann Nichols was ever seen alive. Around 3.45 in the morning, Mary Ann's body was found, as said before, in Bucks Row, just off of Whitechapel Road, not far from where she was last seen alive. Immediately, gruesome injuries to her throat where it had been cut was noticed by the individual who found her. Within the hour, her body was taken from the street to the mortuary. It was there, at the mortuary, that the police made a discovery that she had been disemboweled. It is also where she was formally identified by her husband. The second woman to be attacked by Jack the Ripper was Annie Chapman. In a similar situation to Mary Ann Nichols, she had separated from her husband and turned to alcoholism. After her separation to her husband, he would send Annie an allowance up until he died. After he died, she turned to prostitution. A few days before her death, Annie had been taken ill and many of her friends even told her to get checked out. Due to this, she went to the infirmary and stayed there for a few days until she was better. After this, she returned feeling a lot better to the lodging house she resided in. She was asked by the deputy keeper, Timothy Donovan, to give payment for her bed for the night, but she said she didn't have the money as she had been in the infirmary. Due to the lack of funds for the night, Annie headed out, but she said she was not going to be long before she was in, and she said, don't let the bed. Annie was last seen alive, talking to a man outside a house on Hanbury Street at half past five, However, it didn't seem suspicious by the woman, Elizabeth Long, who spotted her. It was then, 30 minutes later, that the elderly resident at the house she was stood outside of found her body. Just like Mary Ann Nichols, her throat had been cut and her body mutilated. She was officially identified by her younger brother. The third woman to be killed by this malicious man was Elizabeth Stride. Elizabeth was a Swedish immigrant born in November 1842 and emigrated to England in 1866. She married in 1869, however she was then divorced by 1877, where she then started to live in common lodging houses as well as turning to prostitution for income. Over the coming years she started drinking heavily. This caused her to be arrested many times on charges of being drunk and disorderly. On Saturday the 29th of September 1888, she was having casual drinks in the Queen's pub before returning to the lodging house she resided in, getting dressed up before heading back out for a night out. She was seen a few times during the night. It was then at 12.45am that a man called Israel Schwartz saw Elizabeth being attacked by a man in a place called Dutsfield Yard. However, 
He thought it was a domestic going on between a couple and avoided getting involved. It was at this point it is believed that Schwartz was seeing the first steps of her murder. Then at 1am in Duckfield Yard, a steward of a local club came through the gates of the yard with his pony and a small wooden cart. It was then in the darkness he saw something on the ground. He attempted to move the so-called lump. However, it was too heavy, so he struck a match in order to see. The match wasn't lit for long, however, it was enough for the man to see that it was a woman on the ground in a pool of her own blood. The police were sent for, as well as a doctor, who pronounced her dead at the scene. However, in comparison to the previous two cases, Elizabeth Stride's throat had been cut, but the body was left untouched. This made the police deduce that the steward of the club that came through the gates must have interrupted the killer when he came into Dutsfield Yard. The fourth woman to fall victim was Catherine Eddowes. Catherine was born in Wolverhampton on the 14th of April 1842 and she moved to London when she was a young girl with her family. When she was in her teens, both of her parents died and herself and all of her siblings were all separated. She then married a few years later to a soldier called Thomas Conway and had three children. However, by the 1870s, Catherine had started drinking heavily and it was because of this, as well as her fiery temperament, that her and her husband split up repeatedly. However, in 1880, they separated for good and Catherine slowly moved towards the east end of London where she then started to live in Cooney's Common Lodging House. It is then in 1881 where she met a man called John Kelly who was a labourer. She and John moved in together as man and wife up until Catherine died in 1888. On the day of her death, Catherine told John Kelly that she was going to go out in the afternoon to go stay with her daughter. When John Kelly testified to the police, he stated that he warned Catherine about the Whitechapel murders. However, she turned to say that she could take care of herself and she wouldn't fall into this murderer's hands. However, from records, it showed that she didn't visit her daughter, but she did get money somehow at 8pm in the evening of the same day she was arrested for drunkenness and taken to Bishopsgate Police Station where she was locked in her cell to sober up. At midnight, she woke up and was released. Then, at 1.35am, a group of men saw Catherine talking with a man and then 10 minutes later, at 1.45am, a police constable was walking his beat when he stumbled upon a mutilated body lying on the floor of a corner in the street. Like the first two victims, her throat had been cut and she had been disemboweled. However, two organs were removed, her uterus and left kidney. Then finally, the fifth and final victim of Jack the Ripper was Mary Kelly. Not much is known about Mary Kelly before she started to live in the East End. Mary Kelly moved to London around 1884 from what is believed where she was born in Ireland. There she met a French lady who ran a high-end brothel in Knightsbridge, London, where Mary started to work. However, this didn't last long as her life began a downward spiral. So moving from Knightsbridge to the East End, she lodged with a woman called Mrs Bucky. This is also when she started drinking heavily. She then went from living with Mrs Bucky to a common lodging house.
She was seen many times in her last living hours, the first being an unemployed labourer called George Hutchinson, who Mary Kelly met at 2am on the 9th of November, and she asked him to lend her a sixpence, which she said he couldn't do. Upon hearing this, she said that she must go find some money, so she continued along the street where a man walking the other way touched her shoulder, spoke to her, in which both Mary Kelly and the gentleman started laughing. This man put his arm around Mary and they started to walk back along the street towards and past George Hutchinson. The gentleman, which Mary was walking with, had his head down and a hat over his face. Hutchinson was curious to who he was and bent down to look at his face where he was greeted with a stern look. Watching them cross the road and turn into Miller's Court, curious, he waited outside Miller's Court for 45 minutes. However, Mary Kelly and the mysterious man didn't appear again, so he left. At 4am on the 9th of November, some of Mary's neighbours heard a cry of murder. However, because Whitechapel was such a crime-ridden area, it was probably too often this was heard, and Mary's neighbour ignored the cry. Then, at 10.45am on the same morning, Mary Kelly's landlord sent somebody round to collect rent from Mary. He knocked on the door, but there was no reply. The door was also locked, so the only way to gain entry into the room was via a broken window pane round the back. Upon looking in the window, the poor individual just saw lots of blood. The police were sent for, and then the first officer on the scene, Walter Jew, said that there wasn't much left of Mary Kelly, saying her face was scarred and her body mutilated. The reason in which the police thought that these poor women were all murdered by the same individual was because they were all murdered and mutilated in very similar ways. They were all women of similar status in this society and similar in their characteristics, prostitutes or heavy drinkers, being out late at night on their own as well as living in common lodging houses. The nickname of Jack the Ripper wasn't immediately given to the murderer as it wasn't until the final week of September in 1888 in which he received this nickname. Before this, they are different and several names of which the most common used was Leather Apron. After the death of the first woman, Mary Nichols, police made inquiries with the women who lived in common lodging houses around the area where Mary lived and in the common lodging house which Mary had lived in. All of the prostitutes who were spoken to all mentioned a man who they nicknamed Leather Apron because he had always been seen wearing a leather apron. It was first noted that this strange man was doing his rounds on Saturday the 1st of September with a news article in the Sunderland Daily Echo of 1888 stating The women in a position similar to that of the deceased alleged that there is a man who goes by the name of Leather Apron who has more than once attacked unfortunate and defenceless women. His dodge is, it is asserted, to get them in some house on the pretense of offering them money. He then takes whatever little they have and half kills them in addition. Later, the name Jack the Ripper came from a letter which had been written by somebody claiming to be the murderer. 
This letter was so-called the Dear Boss letter, and it stated, Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron give me real fits. I am down on the horse and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work on the last job was. I have the lady, no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I have saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink fits enough. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife is just so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away if I get the chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. This letter was addressed to the Central News Agency of London. However, it was forwarded to Scotland Yard on the 29th of September, 1888. Due to the brutality of the crime, it was decided high up in the police that the murder investigation was to be run by an officer who had fantastic knowledge of the criminal underworld in the East End. This was Inspector Frederick George Aberline, a gentleman who had 14 years of policing as a detective in this London district, as well as being part of the infamous Scotland Yard. During the course of the investigation, over 100 suspects were named. The police believed, due to the disembowelment and mutilation of the bodies of the victims, that they might be after either a physician or a butcher, as the cuts were so precise. However extensive the investigation, the police never caught or imprisoned anyone for the murders and after the fifth victim, the murders seemingly stopped. Even to this day, theories are still being thrown around as to who the murderer could have been, but as many people believe, I don't think we will ever know.